0: Minister here. And uh, tonight we've been going through a series on the Apostles' Creed. And tonight we're coming to that, uh, that uh, line where we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Who in the world is the Holy Spirit? What in the world does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian? And that's what we're thinking about and asking tonight. And to do that, I want to look at a passage from the Gospel of John. Uh, so, if you brought a Bible, you can turn to John uh, 16. And I, we're going to look at John 16, and I'm going to read verses the end of verse four to fifteen. John 16, four to fifteen. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Love him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. That's what he says. It is to your advantage. That I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, it's the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, which he does in Acts 2. That's what Pentecost comes from. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. all right, let me pray for us, and we 're going to dig in to this passage a little bit let 's pray, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is more precious than silver, it is sweeter than honey. Lord, I pray that it would be those things to us tonight that it would be precious to us that you would teach us precious that you would teach precious truths to our hearts and Father, I pray that uh, what you have to say to us about your spirit would also be sweeter than honey to us, that it would, that you would um, let us taste and see from your word that you are indeed a God of grace and you are good. Lord, we thank you for this time together tonight. Lord, we know it's a busy time of the semester, um, lots of tests, just lots of school stuff. So I pray that in this time together, you would help us focus and you help us to learn from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, the Holy Spirit. Um, I was thinking about how, like, when we think about this, where the tension comes. Because there is tension for us. Especially if you maybe grew up in and around a kind of charismatic church. Or maybe you grew up in a church that is sort of afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, um, if you ever watch Lost, uh, the black smoke monster, you know. I think sometimes that's how sometimes we feel about the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, we're fascinated. But on the other hand, we're like terrified of, you know, who is he? What is he supposed to do? I've always loved the way C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read Screwtape Letters, uh, I think actually what he says about demons, I think is actually the perfect way to think about the Holy Spirit for you and me. Remember what he says? If you've ever read Screwtape Letters, that's his book where he writes, He's like a fiction book where he's writing from an older demon to a younger apprentice demon, which sounds kind of weird, but is actually pretty incredible. Uh, But in the beginning he says there are two equal and opposite errors that we make concerning demons on the one hand we can either completely ignore them as if they don't exist and on the other hand he says we can actually be so obsessed and fascinated with them that it's actually unhealthy and I actually think that's a really helpful way of thinking about as we start tonight thinking about the Holy Spirit, who he is and his work in our lives, on the one hand it's incredibly dangerous to completely ignore him, to act as if he's not the third, oh I don't know like God, like the third person of the Trinity kind of a big deal Right? Kind of important. Uh, which is why you and I, like, this is why we struggle, though, some of us. We struggle with what B.B. The, the, um, Warfield used to call practical atheism. Where we say one thing, yes, we love, but in a in reality day-to-day we live as if God's not real and isn't part of our lives. But on the other hand, there's also an equally unhealthy kind of approach to the Holy Spirit, which is to be obsessed with Him. To be, to be overly focused on Him. And we're going to talk about why in a little bit. But here are the three things I want you to see tonight, okay? This is what we're doing. This is what we're going to talk about from this passage. The first is I want you to think about with me for a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. Second, we're going to think about what the Holy Spirit does. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how we respond to him and his work, okay? It's pretty simple tonight, who he is, what he does, and how we respond. That's what we're doing tonight. So think with me for a little bit about who he is. And there are three things that I want you to see about who he is. And here's the first. We've already said it. Is that he's the third person of the Trinity, right? So if I were to ask you, my good catechism people, what is God? You would say to me, That's what my kids are learning, God is, God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's what's interesting about that to me. This is why that it's a big deal that when Jesus is talking about the Spirit, we get this idea that God is a Trinity. Here's why this is really important for you and I to get it's really important for you and I to get because a lot of us have this idea that God made us because he was lonely that God made us because he needed some love in his life that God made us because he was sort of alone and that's actually what the Bible says and the first thing you have to understand why it's important thinking about the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity is that God was the, the furthest thing from alone that before there was ever anything there was God and God was not empty He was not lacking He was actually, the Bible says incredibly full, why? because you had the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and guess what they were doing loving and enjoying and glorifying and befriending one another and, God, and at some point God said "Ah, oh, this is so incredible what we have let's share it with somebody and so we get Genesis, right? boom Boom, Genesis. Let us make man in our image and let him enter into this relationship that we have, the fullness of what we have. And the Spirit is a huge part of this. He represents the fullness of the life of God as a trinity. But here's the second thing you have to see about who he is. And this is the most interesting thing about why it's unhealthy to get obsessed with him. And this is the way that I'm going to say it to you because this is the way that's been helpful for me. He is the shy member of the trinity. He's, we say it this way, he's the introvert of the Trinity. Maybe we can't say it that way, but we did. But the idea is that he's shy in the sense of, and this is what Jesus said. Do you see what he said? That, the, that if you're ever going to understand the Holy Spirit and who he is, you have to understand one huge thing is that he's come to glorify Jesus. That what he does is he is the, is he is the person who's constantly saying, Jesus, look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He doesn't want you to focus on him. He wants you to focus on Jesus and what Jesus is doing. This is huge, huge, huge to get. Because so this is why, okay, so here's my story here. Uh, I, when I was a freshman in college, I went to my, my church and we had this sort of revival service. My church was a little bit charismatic. And I can remember going, and I had all kinds of things messed up and broken about my life. Like I was living in sin with my girlfriend. Like There were all kinds of things that I needed to repent of. But here I came into this service, and I was longing for the to experience something from the Holy Spirit. So we get there, and all kinds of crazy things are happening. People are sort of falling into the aisles and all this kind of crazy stuff. So I decided I'm going to go forward, and I go forward. And y'all, this is my experience. I can't speak from, to your experience. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the controversial things later So I go forward, though, and, like, I'm longing for something to happen. So the the lady is praying over me, and I'm like, something happened, something happened. So I'm just like, I'm just going to go for it. So I just leaned back and (laughs) fell and was slain in the Spirit. But I knew I wasn't really slain in the Spirit because immediately, here's how I knew, because immediately after that, I went to my girlfriend's house, and I just felt this emptiness. And here's the problem, and here's, I think, what the Lord has taught me over the years is that what I was seeking was some experience. But what the Holy Spirit was saying is, bro, probably wouldn't call me bro. <laughs> it be amazing, but there is, like, you need a bigger view of Jesus. And that's what he did. And when I got a bigger view of Jesus, you know, that's when you begin to repent of sin. And that's when I began to repent of sin with my girlfriend. Like, so he, he's the shy member in the sense of he's glorifying. He's constantly putting, we can put it this way. He's constantly, if you think about a spotlight, like at a concert, so Taylor Swift is coming in January or whatever. Like there will be a spot, March, March. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got tickets. Um, so there will be a spotlight on Taylor Swift. And the Holy Spirit, the a helpful way to think about The Holy Spirit is the, he, 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 what he does is he puts the spotlight on Jesus. and says, look, isn't he glorious? Isn't he amazing? Alright, so he's the third person in Trinity. He's the shy member. Here's the last thing we see, though. This is kind of incredible. And we're not going to have a ton of time to work this out. But he, he lives with believers. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. I'm going to send him to you. And that's what Jesus says here. It's interesting. He says it's actually better for you. Now, that's kind of weird. Because I think if you and I were being honest, we would say, Okay, would you rather spend an hour with Jesus? Like, say when this weird kind of change of events. I was like, alright guys. God, I've got a great surprise tonight. Actually, Jesus is coming. And he's going to, like, hang, he's going to go to cookout with us. And he's going to come, like, hang out and drink a milkshake with us because Jesus does love milkshakes. I think we all know that. (laughs) And he's going to drink a milkshake with us, and he's going to, we're going to talk to him for an hour. But then he's going to go back to heaven. But you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is actually saying, okay, that's great. But you realize while I'm on earth that my presence with you is bound physically. So, like, when I'm in Galilee and these other people that are in Judea, like, there's, like, I'm, I'm not, like, there's a physical boundary to my presence. But when the Holy Spirit comes, guess what? No more boundaries. Because He will be with you wherever you are. Therefore, I will be with you wherever you are. This is why Jesus is the true and better Obi-Wan Kenobi. Here's why He's the true and better Obi-Wan Kenobi. Remember when Obi-Wan says, strike me down and I will become even more powerful? Why did He become more powerful? Because He could just, like, show up. Like, Luke would be doing his thing and here comes Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's a terrible illustration to get you to see, though, that that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. Is that he actually, that he, he brings the presence of Jesus to you wherever you are. Wherever you are, because you have the Spirit, Jesus is with you. That's why we can say, that's why Jesus can say to his disciples, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus, how are you with us? You're going to the Father. Jesus says, because I'm going to send you the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Spirit, is my Spirit. And I'm going to be with you wherever you are, wherever you go. Never will I leave you or forsake you. This is why even if you live alone, you have a roommate. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And he lives and dwells with you. It's part of the deal. And it's glorious. And here's why it's glorious. This leads me to the second thing. is what he does. Alright, there are four things that he does. And then we're going to talk about some of the controversial stuff at the end of this point. Four things that the Bible says he does and that Jesus really begins to talk about and work out here. Four things. All right, here they are. He converts, he convicts, he changes, and he comforts. Okay? This is the normal work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life and in the life of believers from all time. He converts, he convicts, he changes, and he comforts. All right, go with those with me. First, he converts. What do I mean by that? All right. Remember Jesus in John 3? All right, so we're in the Gospel of John. But do you remember that encounter he had with Nicodemus? Nicodemus was like the good, like he was the goody-goody of goody goodies. Like Nicodemus knew the Bible better than you and I know the Bible. Nicodemus, Jesus said, was the teacher of Israel. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Nicodemus, I tell you truly, no one can see the kingdom unless he is born, unless he is born of God, or unless actually in the Greek, it's either you can translate it born of God or born from above. It's pretty fascinating. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you can never be made right with God. You can never believe in Jesus. You can never be made right unless the Holy Spirit first converts you. The, 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 literal, the literal biblical word that Titus 2 uses is the washing of regeneration. What do we mean by regeneration? Literally, if you know like Latin at all, regeneration is bringing new life. Making new life. It's back to the, it's back to the Old Testament. Remember where Ezekiel says that when, when the new covenant happens, this is what God is going to do. He's going to remove your heart of stone and He's going to give you a heart of flesh. A heart that beats for Him. A heart that is alive to Him. And this is the first thing you have to understand about the Holy Spirit. As part of His work in your life is to work in your heart and mind in a way where He actually brings down the scales from your eyes so you can see God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, listen, that the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit. Why? Because he can't. Why? Because the Spirit has to work in him to open his eyes. That's why if you've ever read Isaiah, he says that, that, you know, that their eyes need to be opened and their ears need to be unstopped. Who does that? The Holy Spirit does that. Um, this is why, okay, so Narnia, um, there's so much C.S. Lewis and I, I'm not going to apologize. You know what? I'm not going to apologize for that. I was about to, but I'm not because I love Narnia. And so the scene that I love in Narnia is uh, my favorite Narnia is Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's by far the best. I don't really care what you think because it's just objectively the best. And the best scene in the entire series is when Aslan undragons Eustace. Eustace is the cousin. He's the the spoiled brat cousin who's just so selfish and self-focused and just this Proud little punk. And remember the scene? He goes, like, he, they're on that one little stretch of the island, and he finds the dragon, and he goes to take the dragon's gold, but then falls asleep, and then he wakes up, and he's a dragon. You remember this? And then he tries to undragon himself. He realizes he's a dragon, and he's like flying around, and can't, but he can't. He tries to peel off his skin, and he can't do it. And you remember the scene? It's the best, literally, it's like, it's the best scene, I think. Just, it's my favorite scene ever of anything. And so here he is, and Aslan comes, and he says, you must let me do it. And so Aslan begins with his claws, and he begins to tear. And Eustace later says, it hurt like crazy. I thought I was going to die. But finally he got, oh, he, he undragoned me, and I was a boy again. That is a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit to convert, to convert your heart to God, to give you a heart of flesh. That loves him and knows him. All right, so he converts. Here's a second, though. He convicts. All right? What does that mean? Jesus said he's going to convict concerning sin. What he does, part of what he does in, in your life as a believer, is he is at work reminding you, convicting you of the way in which God wants you to live. So that means the things, he convicts you about the things you know and you begin to feel you've got to stop doing. And he also convicts and he begins to work in you about the things that you know you've got to start doing. And his work in you is to not give what, he, I mean part of Part of what you have to understand is God loves you too much. And part of the Holy Spirit's work is he loves you too much to let you continue in sin. That's why 1 John, literally John, is going to say later that if you belong to God, you can't continue in sin. Why can't you continue in sin? Because the Holy Spirit is going to so convict you and so make you miserable that you're going to cry out to God for mercy and you're going to cry out to God for grace. Now here's what's really interesting though, because you've got to understand this when you're thinking about the idea of conviction. is There's is a profound difference between condemnation and in conviction. And the Holy Spirit never does the former, but he does do the latter. He never condemns. If you feel something condemning you that is not the Holy Spirit, that is Satan himself. Because Satan is the great accuser and Satan is the great condemner. Satan is the one who says, "Look at that sin in your life. God can never love you." Satan is the one who says, "You're never going to be able to you're never going to be able to change." There's no hope for you. Condemnation. Condemnation. But the Bible says if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. That, there, that Jesus, that your sin is no longer your sin. This is beautiful. This is the gospel. That your sin, literally, listen to me. Your sin is no longer your sin. You belong to Jesus. Your sin is Jesus' sin. It belongs to him. And he says, that's sin that I've died for. And because it's sin that I've died for, that's sin that I forgive. And because it's sin that I forgive, that's sin that I'm going to break its power in your life. It's going to take some time, but I'm going to break its power in your life because I love you and you belong to me. Conviction is profoundly different. Conviction, there's a sense of I can repent, I can turn to God and he will show me mercy. Conviction is a sense of I've got to change, but God alone can help me change. Conviction is a sense of I I cannot do this apart from him, which is what Jesus says later in John. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But that's part of the Spirit's work, is he brings about conviction. Um, I remember when I was uh, in college, I guess it was about, this is one, not one of my finer moments. College were some rough years for me. I think a lot of you guys know that I wrestled pretty seriously with depression in college. and um, But I also wrestled really seriously with lust in a lot of different ways. And I can remember being, I was back home in Sumter, and I was, we were like, <laughs> in Sumter there's not a lot to do. So when you are in a town where there's not a lot to do, you just kind of go to Walmart a lot. And um, we did that a lot. We went to Walmart and would just be like, it was a Walmart super center, which is amazing. And, you know, we'd like go at all hours of the night. And I can remember I went with some, some friends that had gotten involved with REF at Clemson and they were like growing and I was like not growing. But we went to Walmart together. And one friend, I remember I was looking through the movie section and I was looking through the movie bins and I found this movie that was like pretty racy. And I was like, oh, yep, I'm going to get this. And my friend was like, no, you're not. He was like, "Sammy, what are you doing?" I'm like, no. I'm. At, you know, he literally physically took it from me and put it back. And to me, that's a little bit of the picture of the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He sort of shows him says, "What are you doing?" It's a great. It's actually a great question. Like when you're in the throes of whatever it is you struggle with, and you know it's wrong. Like that is one of the best questions. What, what am I doing? Where is this going? What is this doing for me? Those are the, spirit, that's the questions the spirit begins to prompt. He converts. He convicts. Thirdly, he changes. And this is where his work, I think, is a little bit mysterious. Is he actually works in you in such a way where he begins to profoundly change you. And the way he does it is if we were to go to Galatians 5, it's what we looked at all last fall, is he begins to grow in you the, his fruit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He begins to grow that in you and it begins to grow and take root in your life and you begin to change in wonderful ways. Remember what we said last fall? We said two things about how he changes you. That if you, if you think about the way he works, that in a sense, it's gradual. Like sometimes we get frustrated and impatient with ourselves because we're not changing fast enough. But the, what you should take incredible comfort that his change, if you look at the disciples through the gospels, like y'all, they did not get it. Like they had Jesus as their teacher. Like Jesus was their campus minister. And they still did not get it over and over and over. It's gradual. And yet Jesus says it's inevitable. That if you belong to God, that you're going to become, listen, you're going to become more joyful. Listen to me, Eeyores. You're like me. You're an Eeyore. You feel bad about yourself 99% of the time. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Welcome to the club. But part of what Jesus' work in you is going to be is he's actually going to make you joyful. And you're never going to be like the one direction guy. You know, is like singing on stage. But you are going to be, but you are going to have a quiet joy about your life. All right, listen to those of you who worry. Is he working his peace in your life? For my worriers? One of the things he's going to do in your life is he's going to bend it gradually, but inevitably your worry is going to begin to melt and melt. Not so that you never struggle with it. We know the Bible. We know we're never utterly free of sin until heaven. But in a way where you become less and less anxious because you know that Jesus loves you and has your good in mind. So he begins to change you. I love the way there's a guy that I grew up around. His name was Granger McCoy. And he made, some of you might know him, but he makes, it's going to sound weird, but he makes the most incredible birds out of like steel. I know that sounds weird, but bear with me. He basically takes these blocks of metal. I mean, I'm not a sculptor something, blocks of something, and he turns them into these intricate, intricate birds. I'm talking about birds that like one sold in New York for like 500000 I mean like crazy money. And he's just this humble guy, Christian guy, he's Episcopalian, he grew up in the church I'm with, and he just, but what he says is, like when you ask him about his, his craft, I love the way he says it, he says basically I take a block and I begin to chisel and work everything away that isn't a bird. And that's part of the Holy Spirit's work in you. So he takes this block of a mess that's you and you and me, but he begins to chisel and sculpt away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate one who bears all the fruit of the Spirit, right? Jesus is the ultimate one who loves and is full of love. Peace, patience. Think about how patient Jesus is with you. So he begins to change you, deeply, deeply, deeply change you. Here's the last thing, is he comforts you. Uh, In other words, part of his work in your life is not just to do, not just to convert you, to convict you, to change you, but to actually comfort you. And you've got to especially balance the comfort you with the convict you. Because part of what he does is he convicts you of sin, but then he comforts you that Jesus died for that sin. He convicts you that you've got to change, but he comforts you that Jesus is the one who loves you even if you don't change. And because you know he loves you even if you don't change, that actually ironically makes you want to change. Because who loves us when we don't change? We don't know anyone that earthly earthly on earth that loves us in that way and yet Jesus does and so part of his work is he assures us that we're not the employees of God you know the difference between like being an employee and being a child like being an employee is very contractual you do this and I'll do that you don't do this you're fired Donald Trump style fired you're out but not when you're a child my children can, I could can never fire my children right I mean, like just, like even if I wanted to, like I can't, they're mine, they bear my image, they have the road's name. But the part of the Spirit's working in you, the Bible says, is to assure you that you belong, that you are his child and that he loves you. I love, this is the image that I love, As Martin Lloyd-Jones, is one of my favorite preachers, and he gives this powerful image where he says, it's like, imagine a father and a little son walking down the road. And they're walking down this dirt road together and the father is holding his son's hand. And at no point along this road does the father ever let go of his son's hand. But there are moments along this road that the father picks up his son and he gathers him into his arms. And he just lavishes him with hugs and kisses and says, I love you. And then he puts him back down and begins walking on the road together. That's the assurance that the Holy Spirit brings. Sometimes all we know is that he's got us by his hand. And that he's never letting go of us. And we're going through something that's like, where are you? But he's got us by his hand. But there are other times where he so assures you and comforts you, you belong to him, that he loves you. That's part of the Spirit's work in your life. Now, let me say something briefly about, um, because I know for some of you, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about what about things like tongues? What about things like prophetic words? What about things like miracles? And here, as we sort of think about that, I want to kind of make a distinction for you. These are the controversial things. Let me just briefly talk to this. I think the, what I, the four things I just said, I think the Bible says that's his normal work. That when you think about the Holy Spirit, that those are the normal things he's doing. He's converting, he's convicting, he's changing, and he's comforting. That's his normal work in our lives. And some of these other things, there are two kind of, when you think about things like tongues or prophetic words or miracles, I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of say just two quick litmus tests that I think, from my convictions and I think from scripture, actually are great questions to ask about all these things. Here they are, two of them. Here's the first one. Are these things foundational? Or are they ongoing? Here's what I mean by that. You read the book of Acts, all kinds of crazy things are happening. Remember the thing where Peter literally, like they touch... His handkerchief and would get like healed? Does that happen today? And I think, I think the book of Acts says, okay, the question we've got to ask is, which of these things is actually foundational to the Lord testifying to the resurrection of Jesus that were never meant to be ongoing in the life of the church until the end of time? And which of these things is meant to be ongoing, like preaching, or like prayer, or like the church, or like the Spirit's work in these four ways? That's the first question. Is it foundational and unique? Or is it, ongoing and repeated throughout history Okay, and here's the second question Is does it draw my attention to Jesus or not because like I shared about the experience that I had I'm convinced that for my thing that I actually was more concerned about an experience and then actually for me it was, it was not right there was something off because it was not about Jesus I was not growing in my love or understanding of Jesus those are the two questions you've got to ask that's all I'm going to say I would love to talk more about that because I know some of you have questions, you have experiential questions, you have grown up in different kinds of churches questions. But here's the last thing I want you to see. Okay, we're going to be brief in how we respond to him. And this is what the Bible says. We're going to be there. Just two things I want you to see about how we respond to the Spirit, and I'll be quick with these. All right, here's the first: is that the Bible says, "Don't grieve him, don't grieve him, but be filled with him." In other words, part of what we have to understand is the Bible says it's actually possible for us to grieve the Spirit. That we grieve Him when we do the things that He's told us not to do. And we grieve Him when we don't do the things that God has told us to do. I go back to my kids. How how do my kids grieve me? They grieve me in both of those things. When I've asked them to do something and they just refuse to do it, or I've told them not to do something. And they just do it over and over. Now, here's why it grieves me. Does it grieve me because I'm just like, I want the power. You know, like, I've I got to be in control. It grieves me because I want them to trust me. It grieves me because I want them to know that I love them with all my heart. And that I have what's best for them. Don't grieve them, but be filled with them. Now, it's interesting. When Paul, we don't have time to go into it. But Paul, when he says... Be filled with the Spirit. Do you remember what he says before that? It's interesting. He says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I was thinking about this today. I love the idea of, he's essentially saying, listen, don't fill yourself up with spirits, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't tap, don't tap the keg, tap the Spirit. Now, it's interesting because it's just fascinating to me that he actually puts those side by side. That he says, listen, in this thing, that's what you're looking for. Well, actually what you're looking for is what the Spirit alone can bring. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, though? Colossians says in the same passage, to be filled with the Spirit means to be filled with His Word. It means to be filled and to... to to filled full, to hide His Word in your heart. It says that part of of hiding His Word in your heart is knowing and preaching the Gospel to yourself. Being filled with the Spirit is being filled with the Word. Being filled with the Word is being filled with the Spirit. So don't grieve Him, but be filled... With the Spirit, uh, and then the second is don't quench him, don't quench the Spirit, but keep in step with him. Now this is this is interesting. What do I mean? What does he mean by quench the Spirit? Here's what it means. If this has happened to you. it's happened to me. You're at RUF. You're at church, and you get that sense of you know not all you get that sense of oh the Lord is saying something to me about this part of my life. Right, you get that sense. Like, how does the preacher know this about me? Like, how does he know I'm struggling with this? We say, okay, it's the Holy Spirit, right? That's part of why I even would even do preaching is the Holy Spirit actually takes words and he applies them to people's hearts. But we quench the Spirit every time we walk away and don't do anything about what we've just been convicted of. We quench the Spirit every time we have that sense of the Spirit is not working in me on something, and then we leave and we're like, "Oh, pizza sounds good for lunch." Where are we going for lunch, guys? Lunch is incredible. I love lunch. But sometimes lunch quenches the spirit, right? Because we're not dealing with what he's putting on our hearts and we're not taking action. And that's the second thing is to keep, what does it mean to keep in step with him? You see how they go together, right? To not quench him is to keep in step with him. What does it mean to keep in step with him? It means that as he begins to lay things on your heart from his word, as he begins to teach you things, it means you actually begin to listen and to follow and to keep in step with him. Uh, here's the last thing I'll close with. I, am. Um, it's getting a little bit colder and uh so what that means for us is this last year when it got started to get cold we uh, we bought that we were renting this house that underneath the, there's a playhouse in the backyard and underneath this playhouse there was just tons and tons of wood the the house we're renting has a a fireplace and uh so we're like sweet this is great we know columbia doesn't get cold very often but it gets you know when it starts to get a little bit cold you know Like there's a window between like you know late November and like early December where it gets cold. There's like one week where it gets cold. So we're like we have all this wood in this fireplace. This is gonna be great. We're gonna have these crackling fires. It's gonna be amazing. What my wife and I didn't know, what my wife didn't know, was that I cannot start a fire to save my life. Not ashamed to admit that. Actually, I am a little ashamed to admit that. But I'm t- like, I'm not, this is not exaggeration. We, like, blew through this wood because we would try to start a fire, and we'd be like, yay, we got it. And then we'd be like, oh, it's dead. And we'd be like, all right, let's get more wood. And we'd try to get it, and then just over and over and over, like, I kept thinking if my grandfather could see me, he would be so depressed. Be like, what, what did I produce? <laughs> but I love the way that Keller, Tim Keller, talks about it. As he says in the Christian life, we need both. That we need doctrine, truth, wood. And we need fire. We need the spirit bringing it home to our hearts. We need the spirit illuminating us. We need the spirit renewing us and making it real and alive to us. Now here's where I've been most of my life and here's where most of you are. Is you got a a huge stack of wood. but you're having trouble with the fire. You know, you know so much. But it means so little. And it changes so little in your life. And this is why we, we're not just like talking about the Holy Spirit. Hey, let's learn eight cool things about the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I'm all for Like, I love teaching. I love... But we need Him. And apart from Him... The gospel will never be real to you. And apart from him, you'll never change. And apart from him, Jesus will never be real. So let's pray that he would, he would fill us. You know, I got this text this past week, and it was one of these discouraging texts. Um, and I'm just going to get real with you guys for a second. Um, I had done this youth retreat, and, uh, and this guy had some students at USC. And uh, so uh, we talked about maybe connecting some of his old students to RUF, and I get this text on uh, Sunday. I've come home from the conference, and he says, yeah, I ended up talking to my student, and he was like, I'm going to be honest with you. They told me they don't really go to RUF because RUF is known as the drinking ministry. And I thought... Okay, maybe they just had a bad experience. I don't know. But then I thought, we got to at least talk about it. Right? You know what the Bible says about alcohol? There's a, It's good, but it's not Jesus. And there are certain laws that we're called to follow. And then I kept thinking today, you know, like, whether that's true or not, let's enter into some conversation about it. But I long for us to not be the filled with the Spirit's ministry. I long for us to be the filled with the Spirit ministry. In all of the goodness of what that means. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that um, your grace is always greater than our sin. But we pray that you would take the things that we have read and heard and you would apply it deeply our hearts we love you because you first loved us we love you because your love is incredible to us and unchanging and lord i pray that you would begin to bring it home to our hearts by your spirit that we might be changed we pray these things in your name lord jesus amen